0: ask your clients, how would you find out about a gym? And if the client goes, well, I'd Google them, then you go, right, well, I need to spend money in Google. Oh, I'd go to Facebook, or I'd ask a friend, right, I need to have a greater brand presence in our community.
1: You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% savings for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Phylex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar, at phylex.com.au. Fitness business and marketing leader Justin Tamsit has his finger on the pulse of the world's leading fitness clubs and brands. Here, he chats with the Fitness Industry Podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about building the relationship before asking for the sale, different social media marketing approaches for younger and older markets, the resurgence of email and even older school marketing, and a wealth of ideas to give your club or PT business the edge.
2: Justin, welcome back to the Fitness Industry Podcast.
0: Thanks, Ollie, for having me back. Been here for a while.
2: You're always welcome, Justin. First, of all, for the one or two listeners that don't know you, because I'm pretty sure the whole industry knows you, can you to give us a little bit of background about yourself and sort of what your main focus is in the industry these days?
0: Wow. Well, can you remember? Well, 2019 <laughs> is my 30th year in the industry. So, in a nutshell, gym instructor personal trainer, gym instructor, salesperson, sales manager, club manager, single club owner, multiple club owner, single club owner, unemployed club owner, consultant, and now I guess I'd like to say professional speaker and business coach and consultant, if I could say that. You can
2: say whatever you like, Justin. I think, although, that's, I think that's all true.
0: Although professional would indicate you're paid, so maybe I'm an amateur.
2: <laughs> volunteer.
0: Volunteer. Volunteer speaker, volunteer business coach. No, so I pretty much now work with clubs trying to work out how they can get more people more active more often.
2: Hence active management.
0: That's it. Active
2: management. Okay so I mean you are one of the most uh, one of the the best traveled people I'd say in the fitness industry and I mean there are a lot of presenters who travel the world and probably visit a lot of clubs but I you seem to make it a mission to not only visit clubs wherever you are in the world but to actually work out at clubs. I'm sure plenty of people pop their head around the door and go, oh yeah, nice premises, shiny equipment," but you actually make a make it a real point to go and sample everything.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the the aspects, I guess, of my business where I can add value to the clients that I work with is where I go through that full consumer experience. I'm sure if Google went through my Google searches, they'd probably find gyms.
2: I'm sure they do go to
0: <laughs> I'm sure they do too. They probably know that my most searched term is gyms near me or fitness studios near me. And and that in itself is interesting because when you search gyms near me, you often get a completely different response to fitness studios near me. So is that just a bad SEO terms on the part of the
2: gyms and the clubs?
0: Well, I would say that fitness studios are missing out if they are not got gyms in their SEO. and and vice versa. Hardly ever PT studios come up in either of those searches. So, yeah, wherever I am, I go, all right, well, let's Google, find the nearest one, and then I'll read some reviews. I generally won't look at their social side of things at that point, but I'll decide where I'm going to go. So I'm old-fashioned, I should say. I look at Google. I don't look at Facebook or Insta to decide where I'm going to go and train. And then I'll go through the process from their website and pay for a casual visit, go in, have a workout, go through the meet and greet just like a consumer would. And I feel that just gives me a real solid overview of what the average person would experience.
2: So is that when you say you kind of ignore the social at first because you know that's going to be generally fan and self-generated, whereas Google reviews are going to be a bit more honest and you're pretty much trying to go to the best of the best?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, look, I've been to some places that are nowhere near the best of the best They were just the closest location to where I was training. But, yeah, like if I'm in the States, I'll certainly look at Google or I'll look at Yelp and read the reviews. But I think you're right. One of the things about social media is we we always post the good stuff. There's no negative stuff to it. So you're never really going to see what a weakness is. You get a feel for the, I guess, style of class or the style of gym that it is. And that's okay if I want more information and and potentially if there's two places near where where I'm staying, I'm like, which one will I go to? I might look at Facebook, but generally I'll just go straight off a Google review or more often than not, it's their website. Again, old-fashioned, I know, but I'll look at their website and check out their About Us page, check out their training philosophy, look at the photos and go, yeah, that, that's where I'd like to train. Remember, I'm nearly 50, so I am a person who looks at websites and who uses Google as opposed to you know some people who don't, which may be the millennials. And if that's your market, then don't worry about what I'm talking about now. But if your market is a 45-plus-year-old or 40-plus-year-old, then there's a, certainly a place for Google and websites.
2: I mean, you're generally, you're looking for interesting new places, to, something different than you've done before.
0: Yeah. And it, again, it's hard because as an exerciser and you, you know what you get. So for example, I could be in any city in the US and there's a Barry's boot camp. I go, well, I know what sort of workout I'm going to get. So I'm going to go to Barry's, but really I need to go to this other gym that I know nothing about. And it's like, but I'm paying and you're paying 30, 35 bucks and you want a good workout. So often it's that brand that drags me in and I have to stop myself and go, no, I need to go and check, break out of my comfort zone and train somewhere else, somewhere different.
2: I mean, based on your own social feed and active management social feed, it looks like you do manage to go to a whole bunch of different places.
0: Yeah, look, I do. And And I think I've got probably the best job in the industry, to be honest. I'm not a big cyclist, but I will go to cycle studios like the gym that I go to, that I'm paid to be a member of, that has cycling. I very rarely do that class. So it's often when I'm traveling or want to go and check out a different sort sort of studio. I'll check out a cycle studio. Why is that? Do you think? Why, why,
2: why does cycle appeal to you? Then is it the you know what you're gonna you can just sit in a dark room and, and pedal furiously?
0: Yeah, I, look, no, I think I probably do that because I want to. I know what the experience is going to be like. Whereas when I go to the cycle studio in my club, I also know what the experience is going to be like and it's not going to be the same. It's going to be good. Well, some of the instructors are going to be good. But would I get a different sort of workout? Yeah, maybe. I think I said at Phylex 2019 that I have done a boot camp class. I've done aerial yoga. I've done floor yoga, which are very unattractive looks for me. I've done circuit classes. I've done a rowing class. I haven't done the VersaClimber class, Rise Up Nation, which I think they've just opened in Melbourne or recently opening in Melbourne and looking at Sydney. So I've done almost every sort of variety of class and some of them work and some of them don't. And some of them scratch my head and go, Really? You've made a class you made a programme out of that. That's kind of weird, but all right. I haven't done that one that I talked about at the business summit at Firex this in twenty nineteen on the Reebok slide. I didn't do that one. I just looked at that one and walked in and went, oh, yeah, no, I'm not coming back for that.
2: <laughs> so maybe there'll be dedicated step clubs soon.
0: Well, there could be. I mean, who knows? What these days, well, like I said, like I always believe, Australia is not the United States. It's not the UK. It's not Asia. We don't have the population density. So over there, they can make anything work. We just can't do that. It's It's a lot harder. And so you don't necessarily need to look overseas to get the right business model or even the right of exercise what you need to do is look at what inspires you or motivates you as a trainer that you want to be able to get up every day and create an experience for someone and realize that that programming is something that
2: you're proud of and that, that you love okay so i mean talking about australian models things that do work Interestingly, I think F forty five is a great example of an Australian model that has has gone gangbusters overseas. Are there any other kind of uniquely Australian flavored programs or, or or chains or clubs that you see going internationally? There's
0: one out of Melbourne. I want to I want to say it's B Fit. I think that one's that's moving. Twelve round the boxing one is looking at, at going overseas. Humming Puppy has opened a yoga studio in New York. So, look, there's a few. It's an interesting – I just wonder sometimes whether franchise or whether owners of businesses realize how much work franchising is and therefore to go, well, here's my little one studio operation that I now want to franchise because I'm doing this really well. Like how much work that actually involves and then to take it internationally is really tough. There's a great book called Small Giants – and it was written by, I can't remember his name, but it's called Small Giants. And what it talks about is you don't have to be big to be wonderful. You know, you can have a really solid business where it's just one operation. And, and a classic example of that would be Joe Sorelli in Gainesville. You know, he's got two clubs. And how many offices he had to go anywhere around the world? And he still sticks with two clubs. So I think you don't have to be big to be magnificent. Bo Burlingham. Bo, that's it, Bo Burlingham. Small Giants. Small Giants, great book. They also have a Small Giants conference in the States. Okay. Yeah, specifically for, and in the book he talks about, you know, Cliff Bar, the muesli bar mm, things. Mm. So he, the guy that started Cliff Bar, Cliff, had an amazing amount of money thrown at him to sell his business to a large conglomerate. And they'd done all the due diligence, so he got to the solicitor's office. He had the contract in front of him. He's ready to sign it. Something didn't feel right. He started to get all sweaty, started to get all clammy. So I need to get some fresh air. Went outside, walked around the block three times or two times, came back and said, Nut, no, deal's off because he wanted to be a small giant. He said, if I sell what I do to this big organisation, I lose the brand and the personality of who we are
2: so we never sold and cliff is uh, i mean they're they're quite well known for the for their kind of ethical stance and the you know the the quality of and the way they treat their people the way the you know the Mm -hmm. ingredients and just the entire process so that's something that i guess you know if that is the that's the core of your business is you know it's all based around your your beliefs you sell, yeah. that, you sell that, then you're selling your beliefs.
0: Absolutely, 100%. Mm. Yeah, totally. So I think you know, there's going to be some brands that are going to go, to Australia, go to, from Australia to the US. There's going to be some brands that will go to Asia. Mm. But I think at the end of the day, it shouldn't be someone's goal to take it overseas. So it should be someone's goal to make their business profitable, whatever that definition of profit is, whether that definition of profit is working two days a week or earning a million dollars. You guys determine the, the definition of profit.
2: Something that I've heard you talk about before, Justin, is when I mean, we were talking about Instagram and uh, and Facebook and the social stuff then, and you were saying how you, know, you generally prefer to go with the Google reviews on first visits. However, yeah, user-generated content on social platforms, you you say is probably the single best marketing for fitness businesses in the future, particularly for marketing to to millennials, to Gen Y. So that kind of puts an emphasis on on clubs to be creating <laughs> gram-worthy scenarios, yeah, for for their for their yeah. people, for their members, for their for their PTs, for their staff. So I mean, is this something that they need to be really kind of consciously focused on? I love that I reckon when the,
0: the new words for the dictionary comes out, we'll have gram-worthy as a new word in the dictionary, because that really is a key component to marketing these days. And for me, I think F45 drove that out of the blocks better than anybody else. And now everybody else is playing catch up on them. So, you know, it's a big logo or it's a saying. It could be a display, but there needs to be somewhere in your facility where people want to get their photo taken next to Solace in New York, which is a CrossFit box. They have an amazing logo of grass like it's a vertical wall wooden wall yet they have grass growing out of the wall in the shape of the logo it's like that's really cool that stands out and as you walk past from the street front you're looking and going what is it doesn't look like a crossfit box so people are getting their photo taken it doesn't sound like any crossfit box i've seen no oh downstairs is pretty bad but upstairs is okay so you get and that's why it's known as one of the most instagrammable gyms in New York is because people are getting a photo next to the logo because they're going, that's cool. So just, that's they're just what they're gramming. So I think even if you're outdoors, you're an outdoor trainer, get a flag, get a banner, get a, a sandwich board that looks cool and funky and people then want to get their photo next to it. Yes, you've got to be a bit creative. Yes, you've got to change it up and make it different every mm-hmm. two, three months. You shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be using the same one every six months. But yeah, I think there's a lot of possibilities there for us to be more positive for our or have a more positive environment for our members or our clients to take photos.
2: And clubs should be encouraging their PTs to be doing this with every client or for, for them to be posting either on their own socials or on the club socials?
0: Yeah, look, well I guess there's two issues there. It's whether the club feels comfortable a PT having that sort of reach or independence for one of a better description. But yeah, and I think I often see photos of trainers with clients of, and please, I have no idea, maybe you know, why do people Instagram or Facebook Live a class? Like, how is that, what am I doing? I don't get it. So for me, a really cool shot is like, just imagine two hands doing a high five up high and the photo is just the wrist and the hands. Like, that's cool, or a fist bump. I mean, we still have to think artistic that creates traction, but often we take, get a photo taken with a client in a leg press with their legs up around their, well, their knees, now to their ankles because they're in that, that point. It's like, that's not really the best photo that you could take. So you've got to think about your types of photos and, you, and your content, is, but also you want them to take the photo. And say, oh, hey, can I post this on my Facebook on my Instagram feed?
2: Well, that's true because you don't want to be encouraging your PTs be getting the phones and taking photos <laughs> and spending half their the, the time. time on they the should phone, be training.
0: training clients exactly. Yeah. So I think you know if we can encourage our members to be sharing that sort of stuff and tagging and certainly location bases is really important. One of the interesting things that I have found, I mean, look, I always knew it but I was really bad at it and inconsistent and I've got better at it, is when I do a Facebook Live, I always now tag the location that I'm at. And if I'm in no specific location, then I might just put Sydney or I might just put wherever I am. Because when you do that, that also increases your reach. So I did a live at FileX 2019 and I tagged FileX 2019. This is where I'm at. And like heaps more viewers. Because people go, oh, what's this oh, 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 what's this? Who cares how long I watched, but I got more views. So the same thing on Insta, the same thing on, on Facebook, is that you want to tag locations. Hmm. Well, you used to be the
2: king of Foursquare, didn't you? The Was it the mayor of Foursquare? Oh, Back the, in the day, I remember oh, that. Remember the old Foursquare,
0: mayor of Foursquare? Yes, I was. <laughs> that just, that's a social platform that didn't work, didn't
2: it? <laughs> Tell your friends on MySpace about that one.
0: <laughs> I ran into someone the other day who had an email address, an AOL.com email address. I'm like, wow. And they said, yep, I was one of the first. (laughs) Does it still work? Yes. You
2: still get the Aussie mail addresses as well. There's
0: a few that still have that, isn't it? It's it's funny how the world changes. There's probably a lot of people here listening going, what is AOL? What is Aussie mail? What's email? What is email? (laughs) I I was talking to a, a girl the other day and she said, can you just WhatsApp me and not email me? I go, why? And she goes, I've never sent an email. I said, how old are you? She was 18, she'd never sent an email.
2: I'm like, oh my gosh. So what do we now live in, Ollie? So what do we live in? Funny saying that, though, because you've also talked recently about the power that email marketing can still have. And I actually read an article recently about this um, a few weeks ago, I think in New York Times or something, saying there's been a bit of a resurgence of, of, in emails, content emails, as well as EDMs, direct marketing emails, being, it's like they they had their time, or they had a time a few years ago, and then things maybe moved more social, and now it seems to be it seems to be coming around, having a, another time in the sun, where they are actually having more cut through, more more reach, more direct mm. reach to people's core market.
0: Yeah, look, I would agree with that. Actually, I'd even go so far as saying that the old printed flyer in a letterbox is making a resurgence as well, because so many people don't do it anymore. You now stand out because oh, there's only one. What is this thing? What is this thing? A piece of paper in my letterbox? Oh, they call that a flyer. What is this thing called a flyer? And it is making resurgence. Mm. I always worry, in all honesty, Ollie, when I talk to a lot of fitness business owners of varying sizes, when they tell me that I'm going to say north of 90% of their marketing budget is spent on social, I'm like, what happens if Facebook closes their way they're going to? monetize their business and won't allow advertising overnight. Or triples the cost. Or triples the right? cost. And either or. But the problem is if, if they triple the cost, we would just go, oh, we'll keep paying it because it works. Not sure whether it works or not, but we think it works. But if they said tomorrow, look, we're not going to do this as, our, as part of our revenue source, what would most gyms do? And it's an exercise that I do with clients when we're sitting down and talking about marketing and I go, okay, so let's imagine you can't use Facebook Kagan to market the business. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them, the next question is, well, why aren't you doing that now? And they go, because I'm using Facebook. Email marketing is cheap. It's easy. Generally, those people who've got an email address have at one stage either been a member or showed an interest in the business. So they're anywhere between a warm lead and a warm lead. So why not warm them up some more by giving content? And I think this is where we fall down is a lot of EDMs are just sales-based. They're not based around content or user-generated content, sharing of testimonials, social proof information. It's about, I'll oh, come in and join now, come in and join now. And uh, that, to me, is where the EDMs fall down. But if we go back and we add content, mm. that's when we get the open rates up.
2: Interesting, yes. I mean, there definitely is a uh, almost like a feeling of FOMO or feeling that you might be missing out on good leads if you're not putting all of your resources into social because that's just been the, the way for the, or the way it's been going for the last 10 years but, but yeah if you, well, but if your clients aren't on Facebook mm-hmm.
0: like if your market is let's say 50 plus year olds baby boomers they're not going to be probably on Instagram you know so why do it why pay for that advertising maybe they're on Facebook great use that But don't spend a lot of money. So the easiest place, I believe, to market your business is to ask your clients, how would you find out about a gym? And if the client goes, well, I'd Google them, then you go, right, well, I need to spend money in Google. Oh, I'd go to Facebook. Or I'd ask a friend, right, I need to have a greater brand presence in our community. That'll give you the greatest, the easiest place to market your business just by asking that question.
2: So, I mean, obviously... The value that for social media as you see is more in the user-generated content. It's the unpaid content. It's the stuff that actually is going to get proper conversations engagement. happening yeah. and, and engagement happening. And, of course, something that clubs and businesses need to do if they are being tagged and, and mentioned in any of these posts is they've got to respond.
0: Yeah, I find that quite amazing how few
2: people respond. So
0: I've got a little saying that I picked up from a podcast Social Media Examiner podcast, which is a great podcast if you're interested in social media marketing, and they said, really, social media is no longer social media for the majority of business. It's sales media, and all we're doing is pushing out sales messages, and the sales message doesn't get engagement, so then pushes you down in the algorithm, but as soon as you put a photo of one of your staff getting married or running a fun run or the members sitting around having a birthday cake, or whatever it may be, that's like oh that's like user generated content that's people engage and then that gets you back up Mm -hmm. and i think too many times whether it's text messaging whether it's email or whether it's social we are too sales driven and we're not about going back to that engagement and relationship building Mm -hmm. and then asking for the
2: sale yeah interesting it is a case of yeah you have to remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah, it is social. And, and that's what it what works best on And that's that what it was
0: designed for. And that's what Zuckerberg said in 2018. He goes, this is a social platform. We want you to build deeper relationships with the people you know and care about.
2: He didn't say that we don't want to take advertising too, though, did he?
0: No, he didn't say that, but right, we're going to fleece you for some money as well. But it, that's the principle of it. You know, I was talking to a client the other day and they said, oh, you know what? What do you think of Instagram advertising because I've just spent 300 bucks this month on Instagram advertising. And I said, well, I said, okay, how many times have you clicked on an ad on Instagram? He said, oh, never. I said, all right, well, h- what about your members? What do you think, how many times they were? Oh, I don't know. I'll ask them. I said, great idea. Ask them. Come back in a week. Comes back next week. How many, ne- none. I said, well, why did you spend 300 bucks then? That doesn't make any sense at all. If you don't do it and your clients don't do it, why are you spending 300 bucks a month or a week? on Instagram ads could you got all right oh, because like you said before you know that fear of missing out is is it does it show that we've got a weak brand if we're not there mm. we need to forget about what it looks like from the outside looking in if you've got a strong mm. brand people will come to you. you they'll be attracted to you you don't need to be in some of, on some of these platforms and some of the people listening today you may only need 25 30 50 clients you can get that without having to spend a lot of money
2: it's just Working your money smarter. Food for thought, Justin. Moving away from social now. I mean, what well, just looking at the some of the other the other things, the other trends that you've been noticed in your in your travels, yeah. um, your little jaunts around the world. Something else that I remember you mentioning was the different kind of sensory experiences and things that you're not noticing in some of the some of the clubs.
0: Yeah, so we you know we've got five senses. Five, is that right? Yeah. It's very hard.
2: Unless you're Bruce
0: Willis. Oh, if you're Bruce Willis, you've got a sixth, tenth, thick tenth. Yeah, so you've got your five senses, and the only one that really doesn't have an impact on your experience is taste. Because you're not—it's not cool to be going in and like licking the treadmill or eating the treadmill
2: or <laughs> licking the rubber floor. So we can discount that one. So we think about then. You say that I can imagine sitting down with you in five years, Justin. It's going to be what have you noticed, Justin. Uh, everyone's oh, licking, everyone's the, licking treadmill.
0: the treadmills. <laughs> so certainly, from a visual perspective, we walk into Barry's boot camp. They've got orange lights. We will look at. Orange Theory's got the tinge of orange. So the power of light is really is really strong in boutiques, but in clubs, they're like, and we're sitting in a room now, they're like this. It's like a fluoro light. It's almost like an office, mm. whereas the boutiques really nail that that visual experience. It's a cheap thing to do. That right? These days it's extremely cheap. Mm. Like we had, I had a client and we did it in his club and I think he spent – for five feet of LED, five metres of LED light where he could change with a remote control the colours of the LED light. He goes, this is the best investment ever. And he just ran it literally under the mirrors. So that gave the mirrors depth from the wall, which was really cool. And then he was able to give that whole light up the mirror, which then lit the whole room for, you know, probably under a hundred bucks, create a real visual experience when someone walked in. So that's pretty cool. Mm. I don't know who listens to this podcast, Ollie, but I really hope it's not any licensing of music organisations because I really do believe how important music, the quality of music is to create the experience. So when I've been into clubs that don't have a big subwoofer, I haven't got that strong bass sound, and it's tinny. And often that's because of the location that they're in, and they can't have the noise going through the building. I get that, but that has an impact on the experience that I have while I'm working out. Mm. So really good music, both the music
2: sound, the sound quality, plus also the tunes. That also helps. Do you think that more people are listening to their own stuff these days? More people have got their own headphones in that there may be. The background music in, on the main gym floor is kind of fallen in importance for some of the clubs.
0: Interesting you say that because the gym that I go to, we went through about three days where we had no background music in the gym and it was – no one liked it. Mm. And it literally is just noise in the background. You don't even really know what song it is. You're not listening to the words and, well, you don't even understand what the words are. But to be in a gym where it's just silent, it sounded weird. And this is the big box yep. gym. I get in some gyms, you know, CrossFit boxes, an example, they might not have music. But just the noise in the background does create something. So I don't think we'll ever get rid of that. So there needs to be something. But certainly, when if you're in a group fitness room, you just can't skimp on the quality of the, mm-hmm. the music anymore. There's too much competition where the music is good. And of course, then, so what have we done? We've still got touch and smell to go. So, the Mm. olfactory sense or the smell sense is incredibly powerful. And we see brands now having their own branded scent. Mm. So, Club W here in Sydney, that would, when you, as a virtual class comes on, you could then select whatever virtual class you want and there was a matching scent. I spoke to a Pilates Club owner who they've just designed their own scent for their pilates studio that they will spray in the reception area they'll spray inside the pilates studio and they're going to turn it into a candle and sell the candle to their clients i'm like that's pretty cool he said yeah we just want people to recognize that scent and go that's our brand which of course you know singapore airlines has their own scent abercrombie and fitch have their own scent so that's the olfactory one and then there's touch And the majority of boutiques, majority of studios, the coach will stand at the door and high-five, fist bump, some sort of physical touch with everybody as they walk in and then physical touch when they walk out as well. So it's pretty powerful. It's cool. just adds a new dimension to the experience, doesn't it, when you're you're taking all those those things into account. Mm. And I also believe if you can add in their laughter, then that also helps. Always helps. Yeah. I mean – my, at my Philex presentation in 2019, I, I, I haven't seen anyone else do this. So I was like, oh, I wonder if this is cool or not cool or kosher or not kosher. So I just stood at the door and as everybody came in, I, we went, oh, hi, I'm Justin. They go, aren't you speaking? I go, yeah. I go, in a minute, but I'm welcoming you in. They go, okay, I'm posting wow. my own room. So, and I was, and I was shaking hands, with, and I shook hands with every single person that came in. So when I went on stage to start my presentation, there was a completely different feel in the room. Two so people just sort of mosey in. Oh, and I had the tunes belting out because they got good sound systems.
2: Did you have the JT Scent pumping out?
0: No, no. I left that one behind. <laughs> Badly.
2: Does <laughs> one? When you're talking there about the the scents actually, and you talk about the the branded candle, you know, the it's part of the extension of your brand having these scents and the candle. And that's an, another thing that you've spoken about recently is the opportunity for clubs and studios and anyone really and people to to be adding another element to the brand in branding the clothing, not just selling yep. other people other manufacturers' clothing and protein shakes and what have you, but actually the have, have created yeah stuff. exactly
0: yeah. So. I think when you, when you think about a secondary revenue stream, particularly around merchandise, merchandise is a pain in the butt to manage. Mm-hmm. I think what's really important is that you understand you've got to have a really cool brand. And if your brand is, is not so cool, so F45 when they launched had a really cool brand and people wanted to have their photo and they are happy to wear their clothing mm-hmm. and the fonts that they use for their classes are really good. So really, really impressed with that. But there is the opportunity to waste a lot of money going down the route of merchandise. So I talk to a lot of PTs who go, oh, I'll buy water bottles and give them all my clients. You go, really? Do they want water bottles? And if I became your client, I've already got eight at home. Yours becomes the ninth,
2: so it just sits in the bottom of the Tupperware container. And the danger with merch is that, you're getting something off the off the peg. You're, you're possibly going to go for the the cheapest, and you're going to stick your logo on it, and then wonder why people don't want to drink out of that nasty water bottle.
0: Oh, exactly. Or the shirt that now is probably much better car rag than it is actually a t-shirt. So, like, I think for perhaps a lot of the people listening today, what they're better to do is to get a, a shirt supplier and have maybe two or three samples made up, and say, okay clients check out these shirts these are for sale at the moment you order them today and they'll be in in three weeks sorry i should rephrase that you order and you pay today and they will be here in three weeks so that way the business owner is not out of pocket cash wise and they can get exactly the right sizes for people that would be the way i would do it and then i would probably do that maybe twice a year so i'm going to do a winter hoodie and a summer T-shirt or a singlet. And if you could do that and go, all right, well, worst case scenario, I only sell 10 of these, what's the cost? And so the cost comes out at, let's say, 20 bucks each, and you sell it at 35. What happens then is you actually end up having like 20 orders, well, instead of paying the 20 bucks, you're now paying only 15 or 17.50, so you made an extra bit of profit. And there's, I think this is another thing. There's nothing wrong with making profit out of selling merchandise because the other thing we do is we go, well, it's cost me $10. bucks. i am only going to sell it for 12 Well, it's cost you way more than $12 to, with your time to organise it and all of that sort of stuff. So for a lot of people listening today, merchandise is not the answer, but it is a way to drive that secondary revenue stream probably twice a year in a really carefully managed situation. And it can help
2: if you've got a, you know, if you've got a bit of a tribe going on, then it can help reinforce that branding. If you've got various people wearing the caps and wearing the t-shirts or right? yeah. the singlets, hundred percent. So that's why you know your brand has
0: to be cool. Mm. And I guess when you're designing merch, you don't want to be a billboard because people don't like necessarily wearing billboards. Mm. I think I read was it a US. I think it might have been Abercrombie and Fitch, and they had big logos on their shirts, and they had a. T- terrible summer 2016 so in summer 2017 they went back to plain white shirts with no logo at all they had record sales so it's like Mm. you just got to be really careful Mm. on what that looks like
2: yeah otherwise it looks too much like a freebie that you've given away to just to promote you yeah yeah Yeah, Mm. no one wants that Mm -hmm. Talking of merch and upselling. Another thing that you mentioned recently was the way certain clubs and businesses are making it just easier, more like taking away the friction from selling by just going, can we stick that on, just stick it on the card details we've got on file for you?
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think it's kind of funny because like we always grew up going cash, or we, you and I maybe, or I did, you didn't, but it was like cash. And then it became credit card and then it became swipe. Or a tap, now it's like, we've got your card on file, can we just use that? It's like, yeah, sure, that's great. And it's that convenience of, of sale which adds to the ease of buying. I think one of the challenges that we have, particularly in Australia, is our software packages don't necessarily allow us to do that well. But also because of the merchant fees, that has a big impact on the cost of being able to do it. But you've just got to build that into the cost of the product that you're selling. Absorb it. Realize that there's going to be a $1.50 or a $1.70 or $2 cost to the bank. You've got to pay the bank to be able to process that payment. So it's, like it's pretty cool the way that they do it in the US because it's so seamless. I'm not sure if I should tell this story because it might actually get back to my wife. But I'll tell you this story. So I'm on the database for SoulCycle, and as we've already discussed today, I really only do classes when I go to overseas. And on the email that came through from SoulCycle one day were these really cool cleats to wear in a class. I'm like, they are cool. What made them so cool? They were just black and yellow, and I reckon they looked cool. And I also knew that true soul cyclers would have one, and I wanted to be part of that tribe. So I read the email, and they wouldn't deliver to Australia. So I'm thinking, okay, who can I get in the US that I could order this and get it shipped to, and then they could send it to me? Or could I just wait till I went back? So next time I went back to the States, I asked the soul cycle that I was at, do they have them? No, they don't. So then I just forgot about it. Anyway, I was in Boston in 2018 and walked into SoulCycle there and there they were and they're calling me. I looked at them and went, oh, they're cool. So I walked over to the guy at the counter and I checked in for my class and I said, and, and this is a great example of just how easy stuff can happen. And I said to him, you wouldn't have these in an eight and a half, would you? He goes, of course we do. Of course you do goes out, comes back, he goes, there you go, do you want to try them on? I went, yeah, that'd be great things, try them on. He goes, hey, look, they look really cool on you. Damn you. (laughs) He said, they're cool. I went, yeah. He said, let me put the thing on them and then you, do you want to use them in the class today? I went, oh, I'd love to, that'd be awesome. He goes, do you want me to just put that on the card we've got on file? I went, yeah, sure, no worries. Went in, did the class, class rocked. Shoes were comfortable. Walking back to the hotel, look at my email, there's the receipt for the shoes 165 us dollars for a pair of soul cycle cleats that i will probably only wear once or twice a year i'm like you idiot and then of course it converts and it comes up on my credit card later and i'm like oh. but that's what i'm talking about the ease of the sale didn't ask me for money like if he said, "Oh, can we put that on your credit card, or if you got cash, do you want to pay cash or credit?" I would have gone, "Oh, let me think about it. I'll mm-hmm. come back to you after the class." Mm-hmm. That wasn't it. Should we put that? Yes, done. Great example. Mm-hmm. They do it well. Soul Cycle.
2: Justin, there's a lot of interesting stories from overseas. Anything that you've been noting recently in the local industry that's been either uh, things that are the local industry's been adopting from overseas, or any any other developments at all? Oh, look, I think from a
0: local perspective, as as an industry. The entry point to get in and open a facility or run a business is, is lowering, which is great. It's more exciting because we've got more businesses opening. But I think what I do notice more and more is the lack of business acumen that people have in our industry. It's not a fact that you can open a business and it'll just make money or just help, just survive. You've still got to work on it and there are skills that you need for that. And as easy as the entry is into a franchise or the easy entry into your own business, whether that's in a park, there's still work that you need to do from a, a business perspective. So I, I think as an industry, from my cynical hat, or, or is that we will see businesses close because that they're, they're just not doing well. But that worries me that that happens probably in three to six months. And, and I think as an industry or people that are coming into our industry, we've got to understand If this is going to be your career, the first three to six months is going to be the hardest. But it also should be the most enjoyable because that's when you're learning stuff and you're doing some cool stuff. So I think what I'm noticing is easy entry but a lot of easy exit as well. I'm starting to see a lot more franchise brands coming up, people wanting to franchise their businesses. Again, we've talked about that, so we don't need to cover that again, but there's there's a lot more of those. We're starting to see a few really astute big box owners that are setting up like boutiques within there or mini brands with inside their big boxes and they're proving very successful. Obviously, we, we saw that with Go Health Clubs a few years ago in Brisbane and that's just been replicated now at North Adelaide Fitness, Life and Soul in Broome, Pinnacle in Melbourne. There's plenty of them that are now doing it. So I think the industry is doing really, really well. The only thing that I really believe with all my heart is that as an industry we need to get behind our peak body. And I know Fitness Australia have done some bad things and some good things, but I think moving forward that as an industry we need to support that, we need to support that peak body because with recommendations now coming out from the World Health Organization around physical activity levels that strength training is critical to achieving some of those KPIs that are being set by the World Health Organisation, that we need to be unified behind a body that can promote us to the government. And I think people need to understand that registration still is important. Membership of this organisation is still important. Whether you like them or hate them, it's going to help our business in the long run. And this is not a political message at all. This is just to help us get more people more active more often is that that's what we need to do. We need to have one body that speaks to government, insurance agencies, corporates, whomever that may be. And at this point, that body is Fitness Australia and as, an organo- as independents, whether subcontractors, group fitness instructors or gym owners, we, we need to get behind them and support them. Without our support, we are still going to be just bashing each other and, and not actually getting into that other
2: percent that don't exercise. Justin, as always, it's been a pleasure I'm hearing your various insights. I mean, you're probably one of the you probably have one of the most well rounded sort of overall views of the fitness industry in its various facets. It's always really interesting to to chew the fat with you. So, thank you very much again for talking to the Fitness Industry Podcast.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And hopefully, it won't be as long next time.
1: To grow the success of your fitness business, learn from the industry experts in Network's online business skills courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points. Go to the Network website, select the Courses tab, and click on Business. Network members save up to 30% on courses, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career. And for an amazing weekend of face-to-face learning, be sure to register for Philex, the main event on the fitness industry calendar at filex.com.au